our speaker today is Marty from the Widening the Gateway meeting in Nevada. It's all you, darling. Okay. So here we go, huh? My name's Marty. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it's really good to be here. Um, I was looking at the, some of the folks from the UK. We were recently there in June. We were invited to the Queen's birthday. Uh, that really, but we were in Windsor and and went to uh, visit uh, good friend Cyril, who's in he's outside Essex and uh, all the way at the other side of town. And uh, Cyril's on the board with me for the International Conference of Secular Gay. Um, that's the life I have today. Thank you to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I grew up in the Chicago area, Chicago, Illinois, USA, and uh, kind of an interesting background. You know, they always talk about alcoholism being a, you know, a Irish disease cured in Protestant basements, but um, it's actually the, uh, the Irish side of my family was uh, mostly sober was the English Scottish side <laughs> was the alcohol. Um, and that's what I grew up with. I had both examples. And I, from the early days, I was um, suffered from this disease probably before I ever picked up a drink. I had, uh, you know, feelings of uh, inadequacy, low self, you know, esteem, uh, self-worth, um, all the usual feelings of it's not fitting in, not belonging. Of course, that was my perception. If we were to ask my friends in the neighborhood, they would not have said that. Uh, my father drank um, heavily. It's not up to me to say whether or not he was an alcoholic. I certainly think alcoholic. He was a wonderful, loving, compassionate man. He just had this disease. and died of a massive heart attack at 54. So that's, those were, you know, my early days was, I was qualified to be here when I was 17 years old. I'd, um, by my senior year, I'd wrecked two cars drunk driving. I drank two blackouts. I'd, uh, and unfortunately I didn't suffer any consequences for my actions. I just kept getting away with it um, numerous times. I went, I went away to college and uh, didn't belong there for sure. I went there for two years and it interfered with my drinking. And I uh, was kind of rudderless and I quit college and enlisted in the military. And, um, and I write it right in basic training. I was offered to, I was asked to volunteer for a position, which of course usually means it's hazardous duty or aggravated. And I ended up uh, heading to Southeast Asia, and um, but I was treated very, very well by the Air Force. And um, although I began, I think that's really when I began the Jekyll and Hyde lifestyle of uh, being spit shined and uh looking good 
during the day and at night when the sun went down, I turned into Mr. Hyde, you know, I drank the golden elixir and, um, and I changed. Um, and I began that process that Jekyll and Hyde did it book, um, living that double life. I became, became very good at hiding in all the odd and tragic behavior that goes along with the drinking. And, uh, and it continued, and I, I managed to um, survive. I spent three years in the military, and I got out in 1975. Um, the conflict was over, and uh, I went back to college. Um, I continued um, my education, and uh, I did okay. I wasn't a great student um, because... And, you know, because I drank, um, but I did get into aviation and uh, what I wanted wanted by airplanes. And so I finished my degree program in that. And I worked for the university for a while. And it's probably why I early, even starting in the military, um, they used to drug test us. So early on, um, you know, I never really got involved in drugs because of my profession. And uh, not that I wouldn't be. I have an addictive personality and I could be I could be addicted to anything that makes me feel different. And uh, that was really what it was all about from the beginning was when I first felt that pain, when I first held down that first drink long enough to feel the effect of it. It was like the light bulb came on and I said, man, do I like this feeling? And, you know, the phenomenon of craving, then, of course, I just chased after it. That was the probably the story every time I drank. And uh, I would pick up a drink, uh, feel the effect, and I just wanted more and more and more. And, I, you know, like I said, I... I'd end up in sordid places and uh, seeking lower companionship always and uh, until I became that lower companionship. So, you know, I got out of the military. I was flying airplanes and uh, still feeling like I needed to go somewhere else. I just loved geographics. Uh, my, my concept of a geographic was changing continents. I did it multiple times um, and an opportunity to head off to um, overseas. I went to Malta in the summer of 1980 um, and I worked for a company there that had contracts in Africa. And um, although I really enjoyed all the adventures and the flying and the, and the great uh, experiences I had, um, you know, I also had that other side of my life and, um, just, you know, running around the back alleys of places like Mogadishu, Somalia, Khartoum, Sudan, um, Cairo, Central Africa. I spent five years and getting promoted, and, you know, doing my job, becoming a, a manager and, just getting, you know, being very good at it. 
like many alcoholics, I was very good at what I did. And uh, except when the sun went down, I picked up a drink and the drink took me. And then it just, you know, all bets were off. And uh, amazing, I'm alive, actually. I did this, you know, routinely over and over again. And uh, wasn't wasn't uncommon. And I would, you know, I'm thinking of stories like, I would fly to, uh, we would fly these airplanes from Malta down to Cairo and we'd stop in um, Crete to refuel. One time we stopped there and and um, they had a strike and there was no, they had no av gas for the aircraft. And um, I found out I could get some fuel over at Rhodes, but not until the next day. So we went and got a hotel room and my friend Bob, who I was flying with, I did a lot of flying and drinking with Bob. And You know, next thing I know, we're running around the back alleys of Oracula and Crete, you know, and, <laughs> and woke up in the morning with a hangover and flying over to Rhodes, you know. And I used to talk about having, uh, you know, my, I used to fly the DC-3 and uh, over there and I used to say that, the DC three pilots breakfast was four cups of coffee and a bowl of cigarettes. And that's, that was basically it. We got to, you know, feeling pretty awful. Get the roads fuel up, finally get down to Cairo. And now it's late afternoon back to the hotel. I'm, I'm starting to feel good again. And uh, Bob says, Oh, let's meet down at the bar at the pool, you know? And, and, uh, and, and then it would start all over again. And that was just the routine over and over again. You know, oh, I'm not going to do that again. Man, that feels awful. Or can't believe I did that. Or, you know, and, and um, I got to get this under control. And, you know, things kind of uh, changed. And I think about 1986, the price of oil dropped and they shut down our operation. because so I was working for oil companies and um, came back to the States. and had to find a real job an opportunity presented itself to work for a company that had a base in berlin and off i went to berlin and uh, again i was hired at this company i immediately got a promotion i was given a lot of responsibility <clears throat> i did well and i drank and misbehaved and act, acted nuts and uh Several of the guys I worked with were much like me, and uh, Berlin was a great place. And but that's really where I found my bottom was Berlin. I had uh, was back in the states. I'd gotten I had married in Malta. I'd married a gal in Malta and had a son there. And um, my son was born in Malta, and, um, but it just didn't work out, and we were just way too. I had, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, probably looking for an enabler, someone to put up with my behavior, and that did not work out. Um, so I was uh, back in the States and had custody of my son temporarily, and I was trying to figure out what to do, how um, to do something about this drinking. Uh, it's crazy, you know, and um I'm going to get to go to court for this custody thing. They're probably going to talk about, you know, drinking and, um, 
went to see an old friend of mine that I'd been in the military with. We'd gone to college together, actually. And uh, he was a, a doctor, ER doctor. And uh, it was, uh, I went to visit him and I thought, oh boy, he's probably want to go drinking. I was really struggling with control. And um, we got there and Jim started telling me a story. And he'd been clean and sober for 18 months. And, um, and I was really identifying with his story. Um, and he took me to my first meeting that night. Um, and it, um, I knew right away it was a classic meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it was, they, they were in a, they were like in a separate room that they not, weren't normally in for some reason. It's a little town in uh, Indiana near Indianapolis. And, um, and um, so there wasn't anything on the wall. There wasn't any of the God stuff on the wall or anything. And they went around the room, basically did a first step meeting and, um, and, you know, and, um, and I identified and I knew right away I was home. I knew I belonged there. And, um, you know, and I, the first time I said, you know, my name's Marty, I'm an alcoholic. And then, um, I was still working on traveling and working in Houston a lot, but I went to meetings almost every day for 30 days. Uh, but I went, you know, I'd go in the, I'd show up at the meeting when it started and I leave when it was over. Um, I didn't get to know anybody and I really didn't follow any suggestions. After all, my life was manageable. I just had a little drinking problem. And, uh, you know, um, so I've often heard that drink, drink time will come, you know, drink time will come and whether or not I'm prepared for it depends on, you know, my, uh, the state of my recovery. And it did. I was, uh, my bosses asked me to go back to Berlin to do some, do some training and evaluations. And, uh, like I said, I had a pretty responsible job and I went over back over to Berlin and these were all my drinking buddies. So I'm back in Berlin and it was a matter of days and I was only there for four or five days. The last night I go out with these guys and one in particular, uh, one of my drinking buddies. And, uh, you know, I come to it, I don't know, four in the morning, you know, somewhere in a, in East Berlin in a house of rather questionable repute. And, uh, and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I can't believe I did this again. And, you know, I found my way back to the hotel, West Berlin. Um, and this was after the wall came down. So it wasn't that difficult to travel. Um, but I never want to forget that morning. That was that pitiful, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization it talks about in the book. I laid in the bed in that hotel room all day and I felt absolutely miserable physically, but emotionally and spiritually, I was really sick. And, uh, and I knew I was, I knew I was done. I knew I just could not keep living that way. And, um, I just couldn't do it. I finally admitted to my innermost self, I was completely powerless that I could not pick up a drink. And uh, I got back 
back to the States and uh, I walked back in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and that was June 7th, 1990. Um, and I haven't found it necessary to pick up a drink since then. But what happened is I became willing, you know, and I was, you know, I was raised in a very religious Catholic home. Um, I had members of the clergy and, you know, two uncles who were Christian brothers, an aunt who was a nun, a cousin who was a priest. And I never got it. I never, never understood what they saw in all that stuff. And I just, so I faked it, you know, and I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and they said, oh, fake it till you make it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm good at that. I've been faking it my whole life because I didn't believe what I was put into, you know, and so it wasn't a big deal in AA. I saw the God stuff. People talked about God, God, God. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's good for you. Um, and I just pretended like, you know, that's what it was. But I became willing. I took some direction. Uh, I found a sponsor who was a fabulous guy and, uh, in Chicago. He'd been a Wall Street banker, smart guy. We talked. We had these wonderful, long intellectual hats. And, um, you know, I started to make progress in the steps. And then I met uh, I met a young lady in a meeting. And uh, Claudia, who, uh, if you guys were here last week, you met her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we both had custody of our children. Um, and uh, our relationship grew for a year or so, and then we got married. Um, my company went out of business, and that was Pan Am, went out of business four days for our wedding. You know, and we were standing on the altar, and I was thinking, how am I going to support these kids? Um, but, you know, but I knew we were going to be okay. You know, we were both sober, and uh, we were active in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I knew we were going to be okay. Um, you know, and four months later, I got this incredible job and uh, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And we started this process all over again. You know, we get down there and, you know, we both find a sponsor. We get right in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, but I'm still, you know, I'm still hearing all the time, you know, the God stuff. That's great. Um, I didn't believe it, but I gave it lip service. And, um, so this progressed, you know, I'd, I'd, um, I didn't sponsor anybody in 10 years in Phoenix. Um, Claudia did. Claudia had a lot of sponsees. She was really active in Alcoholics Anonymous. It, um, a lot of people wanted what she had. And, uh, the only people that wanted what I had was the IRS, and uh, that was okay. <laughs> but it probably had something to do with my lack of progress in my own program. And uh, I was working a lot, trying to make up for lost time. And about seven years um, sober, anger became a real problem. And I, you know, I recognized that. You know, Claudia asked me to go talk to somebody about it, and um, I recognized, and I and I sought some professional help outside Alcoholics Anonymous, and 
and I and uh, it was enlightening. I recognized that I did have deep, deep anger issues, probably from my family of origin stuff I buried deep down inside and and stuffed. And that was that was an interesting time. I was able to, I think, most importantly, look at look at the fact that it, you know it's not them. And uh, I like this analogy of, um, you know, the orange. So you take an orange and you squeeze an orange and what comes out is orange juice because that's what's inside. What comes out is what's inside. You squeeze Marty and uh, what comes out is what I've stuffed inside there. And it doesn't matter who's doing the squeezing. You know, I want to blame the squeezer. And, uh, you know, whether it's my daughter or my employer or my neighbor or my wife or, you know, whatever it is, I want to blame somebody else for what's coming out, my anger, my resentment, uh, self-pity, fear, you know, and then, but what I was, what I learned was that it doesn't matter who squeezes the orange, what comes out is going to be what's inside. It doesn't matter who pushes my buttons, it's what's inside me. And that was a fabulous uh, uh, epiphany, if you will. Um, and I started to make prog make more progress in uh, my recovery. It's been, I've been a slow learner. I've been at this a long time and I, I continue to grow. And, you know, we moved again after 10 years in Phoenix, we moved to, um, Sacramento, California, Claudia got a job there. and I was able to transfer, got the big house, you know, we were, uh, got the new car, got the blah, blah, blah. I had bought an airplane there. I was uh, involved in that community and uh, uh, working. I had a fabulous job. Um, and Staying right in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, I found another, I found another um, sponsor there. And I got to back up a little bit. So about two years into sobriety, when we were in Phoenix, I got introduced to a group called Birds of a Feather International. So Birds of a Feather is a group of aviation professionals. And uh, most of us were airline pilots. And um, that really changed my sobriety because I, I walked into those meetings and um, suddenly I really identified um, and it really helped me uh, at that time. But, you know, I'm always an advocate of, of Alcoholics Anonymous um, in general and still am. Because um, it got me sober and it saved my life, you know. And I, I, I got to Fina, uh, Sacramento, and I had a home group there. It was a men's group, and you know, I'd, I'd gotten to that point in recovery where I started to, you know, have something that somebody else wanted, and I started sponsoring a lot of men, and that was a very positive experience. It's, uh, I was able to reap the rewards of the, of the twelve step in being active uh, 
I'd had some commitments at the group level, um, you know, chairperson, treasurer, secretary, whatever. Um, and um, so Claudia was getting a little frustrated with her job. I thought, okay, well, time to move again. And uh, so we moved to um, Boulder City, Nevada, which is near Las Vegas. And that's where we are right now. That was 10 years ago. And uh, Claudia retired from her job. I was able to transfer once again. I had five years to retire because it was a mandatory retirement at uh, the age of 65. But, um, you know, I had uh, got here and met a man. His name is uh, Julian Reinhardt. And Julian passed away a couple of years ago. And I met Julian. And I asked him to be my sponsor. And he goes, okay. He said, uh, let's get together and talk about it because um, we, we might feel differently about some things. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay, well, we'll do that. So, well, we got together and, and what I found out was that we pretty much um, believe the same thing about just about everything. And uh, what I was to find out was Julian was an atheist. and. Uh, and, um, you know, it was, and here is somebody who was sober at the time, 50 plus years, past delegate, past trustee. He was the Pacific region trustee. Um, and he's an atheist. And um, all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, and he introduced me to this meeting. It's widening the gateway meeting. Um, and this was the first secular meeting I'd ever gone to. And talk about feeling like you're home, you know, like all of a sudden it was like, I don't have to fake it here. Um, and I sat down at this table at this meeting. It's a funny story. There was a gal across the table and she starts talking. She's she's talking to this other person, giving her email address. She's very active in secular aid in uh, the humanist organization. And um, says, yeah, my name's Jerry. My email's the name, my name, Jerry Bridges. And I go, Jerry Bridges, that was my mother's name. And uh, and she says, oh, really? She says, that's interesting because my, my ex-husband told me that he had an aunt whose name was Jerry Bridges. And I said, were you married to John Bridges? She goes, yeah. So she had been married to my cousin and they lived in Florida. Now, what are the odds of me meeting this gal, you know, in, in Las Vegas, Nevada? And uh, and she's, she and Bob are very active in Alcoholics Anonymous in, um, in secular AA. So that was uh, also where I met Sam Eigen. Sam is uh, the chairman of the it's uh, the International Conference on Secular AA. And Sam was to buttonhole me <laughs> and uh, get me involved in that, uh, on that board. And uh, um, it's just been this incredible ride of people that I've gotten to know in Secular AA. And that I still attend regular AA meetings. And... Um, you know, I'm getting better at being outspoken 
with regards to my recovery and my belief system. Because what I find is, so I back up a little bit. I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I got an opportunity to prevent the, present the Godward pamphlet at Prasa in Reno a few years back. We didn't have a pamphlet like that here in the States. And that was the A pamphlet. And um, Julian and Marita actually, Marita's currently a trustee. And um, they asked me to present this pamphlet. And, and I was thinking, I'm going to get up and talk about it for five minutes in front of, what, 3,000 people. And I can just, I, you can imagine I felt a little trepidation. Imagine people are going to attack me and, you know, but that's what we got to do, right? So I get up and I talk about this for five minutes and share my experience. And one, the first person that came to the microphone kind of went at me. And then after that, it was nothing but support. I was just amazed. And, uh, and I think that's what we find when, when we let people know in Meaningful Often Anonymous that it's okay not to believe in a deity or not to believe in, you know, God or whatever it is, that you can have your own concept of whatever, including nothing, and stay sober and happy and alcohol synonymous. And it's my responsibility to speak up and let people know that. Um, and, and, you know, it's been this uh, incredible ride. And then I get on this board and then I met Cyril and... Um, when Claudia and I, in June, we went to a, a birds of a feather conference in the UK, we were in Windsor and they'd been put off a couple of years of the pandemic. And we end up getting there just at the queen's birthday celebration. So that was kind of interesting. And then we traveled across town and spent a day with Cyril and his wife, Maria. And Cyril told me the story of the Godward pamphlet. And I had no idea that he was instrumental in getting that through the literature committee in the UK. And he had, it was a hard fought battle. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, you know, the, those, those, they talk about six degrees of separation. And uh, here I am talking to the guy who was instrumental in this thing happening. And I got to present it in process and, and it passed, you know, and now we have a Godward pamphlet in the United States. And um, so it's one step. It's one more step for the free thinkers, you know, and um, I think we're changing. We have to change, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has to change in order to, you know, widen the gateway, like the name of our meeting, so that uh, all who can, all could pass through. Um, but it's, um, it's just, Secular AA, I think, has saved my life again. Um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous was getting stale for me, and I was getting a little bit tired of listening to what people were saying. And, uh, you know, and then I was introduced to Secular AA, and it has absolutely changed, changed my life. Um, and I get to be around people that believe what they believe, and that's fine. And I honor, respect everyone, you know, for you know, what they found. Um, we just spent a weekend up in central Nevada with some couple of friends and, you know, he's the guy's a big God guy. And I'm like, that's great, man. You know? And, um, but this is how I believe and it works for me. 
Um, so I'm, I'm grateful. I'm truly grateful for secular AA and, and the people I've met in it. Um, but I think that in order to grow, we, we need to maintain our love and tolerance for all. And, uh, I'm hoping that we continue to grow to save Alcoholics Anonymous um, for the future, for those alcoholics who are still suffering out there, um, like I was. And uh, anyway, um, today we're we're about to make another move. We sold our houses here in Vegas. We're going to move. Uh, I have a son and a son-in-law. They were married in London. And uh, we have two beautiful granddaughters with them, and um, they are up in north of Seattle. And um, so now we're going to move. I, I've decided that, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time away in my life from my son. We were always living in different places, you know, and he's dual, dual citizens. So they were lead to live in the UK for a while. Uh, as well as Malta on the East Coast. And so it's time to be close to each other. And then um, we have these two beautiful granddaughters. and uh, We're looking forward to moving up there. And we bought a house on Whitby Island, which is just west of Seattle and a beautiful home. Um, we're just truly grateful. And we're going to find a new fellowship. You know, we're going to, there's a fellowship in Langley and, uh, what we found is each time we moved, you know, and I, I, you know, I can go back to when I we moved to Phoenix from Chicago when I was relatively newly sober, year and a half, two years sober. And I started. I tell Claudia, these people are messing with my serenity. You know, I just don't like the way they, I don't like the way they do AA. You know, and <laughs> I knew right away I had to find a meeting that I was comfortable in, and I did, and. What we've learned is each time we moved in Alcoholics Anonymous, we had to jump right back into the middle of it. And uh, and that's what we'll do when we get up to Washington, I'm sure. And uh, I have to I have to continue to seek out, you know, friends in secular AA and thank God for Zoom. I mean, it's changed our world. Um, I know from my Birds of a Feather group, which is the pilot group that I now get to see people every week that I would see once every year or maybe two years. Now I get to see them every week and I see them in New Zealand and in uh, London and Dubai and, you know, it's fabulous. And it's the same thing with the secular AA. We've gotten to make friends all over the world and, and no matter where we go, we can get to a meeting. That's the beauty. So, um, yeah, so here we are, sober and alive, grateful to be here. Um, so that's my story in a nutshell. And uh, Claudia and I have been married 30 years, sober 32, um, and we're both retired and starting to enjoy the fruits of our labor and our sobriety. So I want to thank Megan for asking me to come today. and. Uh, I hope you heard something that uh, that'll help you. That's all I got, Megan.